0: Thank
1: you, Dan. Welcome to yet another, again, uh, Marketing Experiments Web Clinic. Today's topic is this, Five Steps to Effective Content Marketing, How to Extract the Maximum Revenue from Your Content. And uh, we're going to get into some interesting material, two especially interesting case studies. Content marketing is on the minds of marketers all over the world. It's one of those terms we use regularly but we rarely fully understand its implications or even best how to implement a strategy around it. I'm joined today as I speak with an expert on the subject matter. This is uh, Nenan Chaco, who is the CEO of PR Newswire. And the PR Newswire is a 60-year-old company that has been a specialist in content. And many of you are familiar with the brand already. Nenon is sort of a, a visionary. I tell him he's a synthetic thinker. He can pull together many strands and weave uh, a sort of a fastening tapestry or a profound understanding. I've asked Nainan to join us because I think he has insights that will inform all of us and uh, may be very valuable as we all grapple with this particularly interesting topic. You have already submitted questions. We'll be looking and trying to answer some of those questions in just a bit, but we're going to move right away into the first case study, and uh, it is from test protocol CS 1067. It is a company that specializes in uh, gathering information around physicians. It's a physicians only social network. The actual goal was to reduce the cost per lead and there was an experiment designed around that. I'll share more of that as all of this unfolds. We'll use it to sort of help anchor the discussion for today. You'll notice the landing page uh, and it is focused with the Get Started Now button. Of course, they are the largest online community exclusive to physicians only, and uh, they're trying to leverage that network and, uh, so that pharmaceuticals uh, and companies in that industry can conduct cost-effective market research for their products. Stormo utilizes multiple ways to drive people to its website, and I'd like you to just take a look at their lead generation form and sort of the situation that they found themselves in. On the left side of the screen, you'll notice that they were using traditional approaches, direct mail, yellow page ads, rented email lists, driving people to a sort of standard lead generation form. But there was a question on the mind of its key executives. Could content marketing generate more qualified leads? They wondered, but as is the case in those companies that are moving to the cutting edge, they didn't simply speculate. They didn't sit down and have a discussion and then decide by debate or allow the most influential person in the room to decide the matter. They put it to test. And we worked with them in a research project to help effect that test. And what you'll see is a new approach. Here there is content that has been customized around the information. There are more than 125,000 physicians across 68 specialties that are a part of this network. Relying on that special uh, position, they were able to craft interesting content that they hoped would appeal to their physicians. And so please take a look at an industry newsletter and you'll see sort of a breakout or a call out from a section of that letter that introduces a peculiar, a specific piece of content. You'll see the question regarding lupus and uh, the calls to action, the interesting chart, and the opportunity to find out more. Now, this is a classic piece of content marketing. It's different than a banner ad. It's different than a simple paid search uh, bid to get you somehow over to their website. Instead, they're using content to serve you. I think we spend too much time serving ads and not enough time serving the market. Advertising needs to be rethought. And I'm sure that Ninen can weigh in on this topic and, and shall as we unfold, but let's dig down deeper. Look on the right, you'll see the wording of this particular piece, and then let's go and see how it connects to the landing page. People interested in the content clicked through, and they were given the opportunity to download the full report for the specific study. However, visitors were required to provide their name and email in order to see the report. So let's put the whole piece together and see. On the left or at the top, you'll see the direct response approach as it moves people towards a basic lead form. Beneath that, you'll see the content marketing approach. Again, serving the marketplace with useful content and inviting them to make an incremental commitment. First of all, by just learning more. We're really after a micro yes here. And we're after a strategic micro-yes that will lead them sort of up a path of micro-yeses towards the eventual goal, which is the macro-yes, in this case becoming a sponsor, or you might say an advertiser, but a customer of Sermo. How did it all work? What occurred when we compared the two methods? It was a careful experiment, and I'll share with you the summary of our findings with this data chart. Here you see the lead cost for direct response was $155. The lead response for content marketing uh, and using the new approach was $81. That is a 90% decrease in cost per lead. And it is a classic example of this whole notion of content marketing and how it can bring new energy to all of our efforts. How by focusing more on serving the customer or the prospect rather than serving an ad, We can begin to develop a relationship, a relationship that progresses in measures of trust, in levels of commitment. And we're going to talk a lot more about that, but it leads to the central question, why does content marketing work so well? And I want to sort of unpack that, and I've got some slides to talk about it, but Nine and I know you're joining us, and I thought you might be able to help us with your perspective on content marketing today, and why you think it might be a more effective way to reach our potential customers.
0: Thank you very much, Flynn, and delighted to join, obviously, this web clinic, especially given the interesting topic, I think, that you raised today. So from my perspective, I think one of the things that content marketing mimics is the broad shift, I think, that's taking place in marketing, where I think we've moved from a primary mechanism of interrupt style, um, seeking attention of the audience, to really a much more conversational human mode, where I think the exchange is founded much more around useful Information, useful content being provided as part of a value exchange from the enterprise to its audience. And the currency that I think received an exchange from the audience is really their information. I think in this particular example that you talked about, Thermo, is email, contact information, etc. But it's, it's a foundation of a relationship, I think, where valuable content content that informs and educates is at the heart of it, and it's part of that exchange that it's founded on. And I think, you know, as I was looking at the slide you just showed, that contrast was very stark for me between the direct lead generation email form, where it felt as if there really wasn't an adequate context to ask for the information of a respondent, whereas in the second example, there was actually something offered in exchange that could have been And probably was of value to a number of the respondents. Well said. said.
1: And I I think the operative word in this uh, brief uh, uh, interaction is relationship. The world is changing and marketers need to recognize that the goal of the headline was always, sometimes we've forgotten this, to do more than simply interrupt or get attention. A good headline, for instance, converts attention to interest. In this day of creativity and agencies uh, all around us, we're constantly looking for a way to cut through the white noise, to get our hand raised so that people can see us. We talk louder. We we wear colorful clothes, you might say, in the marketplace. We're using spinning uh, actions and graphics and motion, doing everything we can to get people to see. But that's not enough unless we can convert the attention into interest and content makes that particularly Uh, applicable, especially when you consider it in the context of relationship. There's a a key principle, really two, that we should talk about for just a moment that will set up where we're going today. If you have just joined us, we're going to be drilling down through an experiment on sort of a a pathway for you to integrate content marketing into your approach, a step-by-step sequence based on the experimentation we've been doing at McLab's. And as we do this, I want to sort of set up a couple of principles that are theoretical drivers of all that we're doing. If you've been on a lot of our clinics before, you'll know that we're optimizing live. We're looking at web pages. We're looking at pieces of collateral. But all of these tactical moves should be grounded in a greater, more strategic context. And that's a lot uh, what we're looking at as this, uh, this clinic unfolds. So here is the first principle. There is a natural progression in the development of any relationship. Healthy relationships typically move through a series of transitional commitments. Micro yeses, if you please. Now, I have often used the example of relationships between a man and a woman because it's a classic sort of pattern. And many times there's humor injected in in a studio. I was uh, lecturing uh, somewhere Monday, Indianapolis on Monday, and and everyone was laughing when we talked about a man and a woman and how they connect and, and the necessary steps I said there, something you've heard me say in these clicks before, a headline is a pickup line. Now, I don't mean it's like a pickup line. It is a pickup line. Its job is to uh, capture attention, convert it into interest. the same exact thing that a man has to do when he's trying to meet someone that he's unfamiliar with. Now, take a look at this this sort of pattern because we're all familiar with it. And maybe this isn't the classic pattern uh, today, but it's a sort of a classic pattern in relationships historically. And it connects with the fact that there is also an unfolding pattern in incremental levels of commitment that we see in a business context. In fact, as people move up that level of commitment, they get closer towards a more significant commitment. And it connects to this next principle. In a business context, there are generally three key levels of customer relationship commitment. We call this model the RTC model. It's relational, transactional, and contractual. Now, you may not have the full. You may just move from relational to transactional, depending on your business design. But let's suppose you're in lead gen, B2B or B2C. And let's suppose that there perhaps is a a higher ticket or a service offering. In either case you may find that this entire model I'm going to show you next connects with you. If not, a piece of it, perhaps the first two connect with you. But let's look at the model. On the first side, we see relational. The relational piece are uh, these areas you see, webinars, events, newsletters, emails, publications, website, blogs, social media, and there's a lot more we could place into this space. But very often, in this inverted funnel, we talk about that, by the way, if you're not familiar with the inverted funnel, Go to marketingexperiments.com and get to the various uh, uh, broadcasts. In fact, search under inverted funnel and you'll see what we're talking about here. We don't believe the standard funnel represents reality. People are not falling out or falling into your funnel. They're falling out. But take a look. The first phase is relational. The second phase is transactional. So they come in uh, perhaps because they interact with a piece of free content, just like we saw with Sermo, And then there may be some sort of transactional interim phase where they purchase a product and it's transactional because it's one time. You want them to come back, but there are tiers or various offers. And then this culminates in a sort of contractual relationship that often involves contracts over a period of time and certainly typically involves even more revenue. This, this tiered system helps us think about the role that content plays moving forward. It also indicates two crucial problems that we see over and over again. The first one is this, macro distortion. Some companies overlook or they minimize the importance of the micro decision in the overall conversion process. We jump ahead. We skip important phases. Many of us don't even have a strong integrated content marketing plan. And because of that, we're simply raising our hand or raising our voice, trying to get people to see our product and make a purchase. That grows less and less effective in today's economy. Now, and you may have a comment on that based on your perspective, but tell me how you've seen from your experience at PRN and feel free to give us a brief overview of what you know, PR Newswire does so that people can understand the perspective you're coming from when you talk about this.
0: Go ahead. Thank you, Clint. I think, you know, historically based on our roots obviously in PR, PR was considered obviously more of a one-way broadcast of information that was relevant ultimately really for marketing purposes, but really being channeled through originally the media as a proxy to help broadcast the information far and wide to really help, I think, at the earliest stages of marketing, primarily around awareness and consideration. Obviously, fast-forwarding to today, our ability to help target, distribute, and monitor content um, to be disseminated broadly, not just to our foundational ability of journalists, bloggers, and and influencers, but more broadly across our syndicated network of third-party websites that really earned media placement, in effect. Our social networks, in terms of our own social distribution footprint, and then our ability to assist in organic search visibility essentially ensures wider dissemination, targeted dissemination of valuable, high-quality content on behalf of our customers to the appropriate audience. But I think in, in, in my experience, what we've seen with uh, probably the leading proponents and surveyors of, of content marketing is really their ability to use this network broadly to start to establish a rhythm and a cadence of developing very high-quality content. Thought leadership, white papers, uh, increasingly multimedia assets, uh, engaging video photographs, all as a means of communicating their point of view, their value, in, in obviously the content that they're generating. And establishing that steady cadence of rhythm of disseminating that content to effectively drive engagement from their audience, to help have that audience respond, interact, um, share, distribute uh, virally, further redistribute that content, tweet about it, etc, and really use it as that foundational context, I think, of this relationship so that it starts to move through these stages that you've outlined. So I think with the leading proponents, as as challenging in some ways as it sounds, it's really about getting to that ultimate rhythm of really being able to generate high quality content um, on a very frequent basis, perhaps even daily, depending on who the enterprise is, as a means of establishing and creating that foundational element of the relationship and moving them up that uh, funnel with the various micro-reactions.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Now, just a note again, if you've just joined us, we're working through uh, the inverted funnel talking about RTC moving from relational to transactional to contractual uh, content and how those relationships sort of expand and how content might be the stream that we can move people through. We've talked about an error, macro distortion, skipping this important early phase, jumping too far ahead in the macro, yes, asking, essentially asking for a commitment before they're ready. I want to talk about a second error. I've been joined by Nainen who is the CEO of PR Newswire. Nainen is not a sponsor of this broadcast. I've invited him because of his particular expertise and the long history that his organization has in this space. And we've been co-researching with his organization this model that we're talking about right now. And so I think he brings to us a perspective from someone who's having to live in this space every single day. And Nyman would agree, I think, that there's a second error we often see. It's called horizontal diffusion. Now, that's a a complex word. And you know we're a research laboratory and it sounds a bit academic. But if you see what I'm going to share with you next, it will make sense. Some organizations are generating content. But they are moving their customers horizontally across this content instead of up towards a macro, yes. Up through a transactional or contractual-based funnel. Just to make this as clear as possible, you need some way to engage new people. And relational, useful content is powerful in doing so. And once the relationship is established and you're building trust, you can move them to the next level where they're ready to make preliminary purchases with you. And beyond that, for many of our business models, we can move to the next level where they get very engaged in perhaps a greater or longer term commitment. That is driving the essence of this very special Meclabs clinic today and it leads to really five key steps that we want to discuss. These are uh, a way to go forward, a framework, so that you can start to build content marketing into your mix. I have limited time. I'm looking at the timer. By my clock, it's 419. I've got less than 40 minutes to cover a great deal of material. I'm conscious of the fact that every single one of you on this call or joining us by video, you're investing precious time. What I want to promise you is if you will carefully pay attention, interact with us, share with us your thoughts. We will work through these five phases as quickly as possible and try to make all of the time we have together dense with useful, interesting information. Let's start with the first principle. It begins by mapping your existing content across the funnel. Many companies don't even understand the assets that they currently have. You've got to have some sort of system. You've got to pull it all together and get a sense of how that content can be utilized to move people vertically instead of simply to promulgate a series of horizontal activities. So when mapping content and here's a key principle, You've got to understand how to keep it simple. And really, it's about simplifying and sequencing the content product mix as clearly as possible. Uh, It's the difference between having a lot of potential, and you'll notice these are all sites in the Labs family, Marketing Experiments, Marketing Sherpa, Labs, and there are others, and somehow thinking about how we can bring that all together in a systematic flow that will yield a movement up the inverted funnel. Phase one for you is to map. Everything I'm talking to you about, we literally have to do inside of the labs. We're talking about this from the perspective of researchers who are working outside in the field with major organizations all over the world in different languages and different cultures. But candidly, we have to live this every single day ourselves. And so this is an area that we're passionate about and frankly, we've never ever taught on. And this clinic today is sort of a move to help you uh, begin to see what we've been learning as we all learn together from this process. But you'll notice, again, these sites need to flow together. And by the way, all of the sites in the Mech Labs family have not even optimized. Some have been acquired. They're going through all of the same hardcore research and optimization necessary to making them sort of serve this useful progression up the inverted funnel as we build up the community of evidence-based marketers. Again, simplify. On your left is a Yahoo website. I remember when Google launched. I remember the shock of a website that looked like this. If you go back, this is a, sort of a historic moment. In, I guess, the last 15, almost 20 years, we've been researching here in NEC Labs a simple, simple, but highly complex question in terms of the answer. A simple question with a complex answer. Why do people say yes? And we've watched the birth of Amazon in this lab, the birth of Google. We watched uh, the great war between Apple and Microsoft unfold and how it's all turned out has been uh, a really <laughs> an amazing story. But I remember this day. I remember the day when Google went live. And I remember what Yahoo looked like compared to Google. And we all know what's happened in performance. This is an example of simplifying. And in fact, if you were to drill down deeper, you would see that there is a way that the content has been sequenced. This is Yahoo. This is Google with that tight little system at the top that allows you to drill in to what they have for you, but keeps the emphasis on the main component. This brings me to a second principle. Often our offerings can be clear to us but confusing to our prospects. We frame the offer with company logic instead of customer logic. Marketers, you are the philosopher of your organization. You should be the one who speaks with wisdom because you see through the customer's eyes. The action of sales should be grounded in the philosophy. Of marketing, And in fact, you have to constantly help the C-suite see their offering through the eyes, almost inverted, not from their eyes, but through the eyes uh, of the customer. And it is a sacred and it is a very difficult task, but it's the one that marketers bring unique and in a very powerful way to their organization. This all brings me to the second step. And that is this, once you've mapped your existing content across the funnel, let's just pause for a moment. Let's suppose that you're on this organization or you're on this call and your organization is not that large. You may not even have a lot of content, but if you go back and look at all your blog entries, if you've got blog entries. So you go back and look at any particular pieces you've produced, special reports you might have. Uh, anything that you may have used in the past that has some value and get all of that mapped in front of you. Or if you're a large organization and you assign a team to pull together the data from all sources, the critical pieces you're producing and then say to yourself, how does all of this add up? Now, i want to use the word add up because it's not enough that you have it. It has to add up moving people up the inverted funnel. To do that, you've got to understand who you're talking to and how to integrate this into their thought sequence. We don't believe in optimizing campaigns. We believe in optimizing thought sequences. And really what you're doing with this content is you're participating in the internal dialogue of your prospect. So the second step is to sort of craft a biographical sketch of your ideal customer. In Mac Labs, we have a, a group of individuals that the research institution appeals to. One of those is the marketing practitioner. We have to understand key traits and behaviors of these prospect categories. What you'll see in this list of bullet points, which I will not read at this point, is, is something that we have discovered as being commonalities in those that might even be on this particular broadcast or webcast. In fact, they're typically uh, a specific kind of marketer that uh, is attracted to the research and experimentation that we deliver. And once you've identified the commonalities, we have marketers joining us from all over the world right now, We can only fit 1,000 people at a time in this particular cast. And we often have many, many more trying to get on and many, many more than that registered. But where they're at in the world, there's some certain set of characteristics that keeps them coming back or that is centered around the appeal of this event. It drives the appeal. And we've got to find those, as do you, and then you've got to connect the content to that particular need. Now, this is not in my notes, but I'll just say this for all of you that are trying to figure out what's the best way to do that. What you deliver to that audience has three components if it's going to be effective. It must be relevant, it must be important, and it must be urgent. You can't afford to miss any one of those three elements. It's a critical triad. Relevant means it matters to them. But listen, there's a lot of things I need. There's a lot of things that matter to me as the director of MEC Labs that I don't even have time for right now. You're only going to get my attention when what you have is not only relevant, but it is important. The problem is, even if it's important, I may not have time to get to it because I have other important items that could be more urgent. You need content that is relevant, important, and urgent. And when you do, you can see how... In this particular example, these are names of actual clinics. These are the names that draw people into events like this. Copywriting on tight deadlines. How ordinary marketers are achieving 103% gains with a step-by-step framework. To the right person, at the right time, that is precisely what they're looking for. And it fills our clinics. You could go down this list, all down this list are carefully crafted headlines designed to appeal precisely to the marketplace that we serve. Now, this is not a broadcast about Mech Labs or PR Newswire. This is a broadcast or netcast really about you. We want you to understand how from these examples you can get transferable principles that work in your own context. Sort of leads to a question. and uh, You'll see the question on the screen behind me. How do I write content that applies to multiple customer segments? Do I always have to write separate content for each customer type? It's a good question, submitted by our audience, and I'm gonna take it back to Ninan. And Ninan, could you give us some insight uh, in terms of uh, an answer to these questions?
0: Yeah, I think it's an excellent question to pose, um, Flint. And from my perspective, I mean, the very definition of customer segments and types implies obviously differences in terms of the identified category and the characteristics that define both that segment and the individual customer type. So I think in a simple and very direct way, the answer, I think, is yes. You do write content, I think, as you visualize who your end state customer is in a given segment or for a particular type. I think it is important to visualize and understand uh, who they are, what they are. I think what they're looking for and to ensure that the content, I think, that's being created is, I think, in those categories that you identified, relevant, important, and urgent, but that's for those specific characteristics. I also think um, there are a couple of other dimensions that I would sort of insert into the equation. I think one is really the the timeliness, which is somewhat related to the context of the content itself. So when we talked earlier, I I had um, mentioned obviously being able to build to a certain rhythm and cadence of actually generating this content to appeal to these specific customer segments uh, and types, um, but also ensuring that there's sort of a time axis along which this content is generated, because it's got to be fresh and appealing. Um, and I think if you go back to the example that you outlined, that you use within Netlabs itself, those headlines that are carefully crafted, again, there's new, fresh content that you're generating all the time. That's essentially looking to appeal to those different types of customers, and I think. The the final aspect I would introduce, I think, back to your question that you're posing here, is really also ensuring that the content is really aligned against and oriented and optimized towards driving a specific outcome. So the end state of the content is visualizing how the target customer type and segment, post-consuming this content, what is the action or the outcome that you're actually seeking for this person? Is it the exchange of their information? Is it for your product to enter into their consideration mix? Is it for them to attend the next webinar, et cetera?
1: Dainan puts his finger on a critical point. Every piece of content should be mapped to the micro-yes necessary to move them closer to the macro-yes. yes Now, I'm using language that's familiar to many of our listeners, but if not, again, go to marketingexperiments.com. There's about $15 million worth of free research there. And look up the inverted funnel in the search piece and sort of read or review the data or watch a, a, a netcast. But we believe that all marketing should influence a decision and that each macro yes is necessary to achieving or each micro yes is necessary to achieving the macro yes. Keeping that in mind... And the answer that uh, Ninan just gave us, we've got to be very careful to tune the content so it's actually moving them up, which brings me to the third point. You've got to understand your distribution channels and you've got to look at those in which you might have the greatest potential influence because this process doesn't begin on your site. It begins all the way back in the channel. Now, as I suggest that to you, I want to sort of give you uh, an example from the earlier experiment. You can see that that very critical piece of content that drove that significant gain uh, was appealing in three different channels. And by identifying those channels, we were able to intensify the conversion rates. All of this is about influence. There's not enough understanding in the marketplace about influence. Influence, I believe, from our research at Mech Labs is comprised of three components. You will see them behind me. May I suggest that they're critical in all of your thinking. Typically, we only think of one or perhaps two of these. All three are vital. The first one is reach. That's essentially how large is the list. How many people are we influencing? That's one we're all familiar with. But the next is Intensity. To what depth is our influence on each person? In other words, how much are we impacting their thought process? How much are we influencing their actions? This is an important component of the total calculation of influence, and it brings me to the third. To what degree can each person we've influenced enact change? What is the scope of their control? How large is their quote unquote kingdom? Let me give you an example. Would you rather have a list with a thousand uh, middle managers on it or a list with a hundred of the top CEOs in the country and a list or a publication that actually influences their thinking? In fact, if you could just influence two people, perhaps Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, how much change could you enact? Now, I say that because those are extreme examples, but they help illustrate this third component, capacity. If I were you. I would assess each of my channels and I would ask, what is the reach? What is the intensity of the actual, say, publication? Not necessarily my publication, it could be, but it might be someone else's. What is the intensity of that site or that publication's you know, impact on its, its readers or its visitors? And then I would look at capacity. What is the, what is the scope of control? Are these mid-level managers? Are these senior executives? Do they have budget? Those practical questions that help connect the, the actual piece of content to the desired outcome. So now we've covered critical steps, three of them. We've said that you must map your existing content across the funnel. Conduct a biographical sketch of your ideal customers. We've also said you need to identify distribution channels with the greatest potential influence. But step four is this, create a clear connection between the relational content and the transactional content. And then from the transactional to the contractual. If you have all three of these elements, this applies. If you have only two, it still applies. Here's a key principle. Marketing only exists where choice exists. There's no need for marketing anywhere else. Again, marketers... I want you to think like philosophers. You've got to understand your customer. You've got to get deep inside of their thought. You've got to understand why they say yes. This is the task before us. And marketers influence choice. May I say something else to you? Sales often tells people what they should do. Salesmen make claims. Marketers influence your conclusion. We are not so much telling you what to think as giving you key Signals, key cues that help you draw a conclusion. This is why I don't believe that brand should make a promise. No one trusts the promise of someone trying to sell them. Brand should create an expectation. That expectation is really the form, uh, a conclusion someone has drawn about you. And it's typically based on the impact of their value proposition. That is the value proposition of the company. Brand is nothing more and nothing less than the aggregate experience of the value proposition. So any marketing effort, even branding, that does not influence choice is a waste. And we're going to move, if you're just uh, sort of tracking with us, there's another case study coming up and it's quite detailed. It was done by Marketing Experiments along with the same organization. And I'm going to get there in just a moment. But I want you to continue to think about how these four steps come together. And in this case, you'll see that piece of free content Notice the call to action. Download free resources or free results. And then notice how once they get to the landing page and they start to download it, register and get the report. Content here is moving them forward in an incremental set of commitments. And that incremental set of commitments is the key to forging a strong relationship. I want to pause for a moment. I have uh, a lot of monitors around and I'm looking at those monitors I know that we're not looking at a web page and talking about the before and the after, but is this helping you? Give me feedback. Use the Q&A feature and give me instant feedback so I can optimize my pace and content right now. Christian, you're saying yes. Ryan, yes, yes, yes. You're awesome. Thank you, Max. Helpful. Go on. I'm watching. Thank you. Keep that coming in. We're monitoring this constantly so that we can optimize on, you might say, on the go as we're teaching. And I know that this is uh, sort of unique today, and I just want to make sure I'm connecting deeply with you in a way that matters. That brings me to another question. I want to tell you, by the way, as as Nainan is about to answer this question, I don't want to flatter him. It's certainly not my intent. As I've told you, he's not a sponsor of this event. He's here because he is one of the most profound thinkers in this subject matter. And he must think about it every single day as the CEO of this organization and uh pr newswire and so uh i value his insights and later we may tell you how you can follow up with our questions and if you found it useful we may invite him to help us with something else in the future for now i'd like him to help answer a question that you've submitted is it better to put my content behind a registration wall or to give it away for free nine and i hear this one all the time tell me uh tell me what you're thinking friend
0: So I certainly believe strongly that I think high-value content uh, has a very strong role to play in terms of being a very natural, free offering as part of what you do to be able to start to establish the foundation of that relationship with prospective customers, your target audience. So I think content is really effectively the way that you're establishing credentials, starting to build a foundation of trust. And if by placing it behind the registration wall, you're sort of saying, I actually don't trust you, my potential customer, so you're willing to give me something, I think that's that un- unfortunately the wrong basis on which to start that relationship and build that right foundation as they start to traverse the funnel upwards. I think of content fundamentally, high-value content, as creating the context for consumption, so as being that starting point in that relationship. So to your earlier point is the content really needs to be targeted and placed in all of the appropriate channels to find your customers and to, to sort of divine intent on their part, then I think it feels very much like a non sequitur or an interrupt to place friction in front of that step as a precursor to allowing somebody to understand who you are, what your product stands for what your point of view is, what what the benefit case and value proposition is around your particular product. So um, I have a very strong view, I think, that a good amount of that content obviously needs to be something that's put out for free as a means of establishing and starting that relationship. I have to tell you that uh,
1: Nainan is joining us from New Jersey. I'm in Florida in the studio right now. And I, I almost wondered uh, what his answer would be to this question, because I don't know that I've discussed it with him before, but I think he uh, expressed my opinion exactly. And my opinion comes from a lot of experimentation. We have run so many sets of experiments on the notion of memberships. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that we found at marketing experiments is that we had far more influence if we kept all of the briefings free. You'll notice you don't pay for these clinics. They're seldom sponsored. We may change that. Sponsors uh, want to sponsor these, but we don't want any sponsor to have any influence over the, the way we deliver this content. We don't want selling to take place on these clinics. We want to help you. We're trying to build a community of evidence-based marketers who are interested in discovering what works. And candidly, that means that we've made the decision to leave 15, it may be 20 million, but at least $15 million worth of research completely accessible and free at marketingexperiments.com. And frankly, you can look all over the site and find it hard to even discover something to purchase. Now, the site's about to change. And it's grown over the years. It's just a simple site with all the issues and broadcast and content and findings from our research. Uh, it's one of the Mech Labs brands. But I do know that many years ago, and my listeners probably don't know this, we ran an experiment putting some of that content behind the membership wall. We abandoned the experiment just as soon as the findings came in. We believed that it hurt us more than it helped us. And I have seen that same situation over and over again. So, you know what? The quality of the content needs to be very high, even if it's free. If you're truly serving your audience with high quality content, you'll generate influence. And if you generate influence... There will be ways to monetize it, but it's more important to capture the influence than it is to capture the first dollar that you can. Now, this leads me up to yet another experiment. By the way, if you have a content based website and Luke, I'm going to surprise you, you can I can see him through the control window. Uh, send us a link right now with the Q&A function and we may pull up your website and do some live optimization of its presentation. Luke is nodding his head. Paul Cheney, who's one of the writers, is shaking his head and smiling because he knows that I am vexing yet again my production team. But I want to make this event as useful as possible. Send those links to us. Maybe a website that offers content that has, say, relational offers, downloads white papers, you know, that provides free reports, web clinics, sign-up forms. At the end of this time, Nina and I will look at it and we may be able to actually give you some optimization uh, insights that will help you improve the performance of your relational content or even your uh, transactional content. Submit the URLs and we'll see if we can pull some ready. In fact, I, I see one coming up right now. Whoever did that, it, was this one of them or was that something else? All right, they're coming in. Let me go to number five. Optimize the message of transactional and then the contractual transitions. What in the world is that saying? Well, once you've got a connection, you've got to get the message right so that there is proper force. The messaging is essential. And this comes back to the value proposition. And the value proposition is the heart of everything we do at Labs. In the next two to three years, that that will get clear as the books begin to come out explaining all that we've learned from the last 15 to 20 years of research. But let me take you straight to a case study. Here is an experiment, test protocol 1483. It's an SMO barrier page test. And so here's a bit of the background. After the success of the content marketing campaign that we talked about before, John wanted to test on the landing pages to extract more leads from the fierce pharma traffic. Now we had two Johns working on this. A John who was overseeing all of this from the McLab's perspective and a John who was overseeing marketing on the other side of this research. And the goal here was to increase the lead rate On the content marketing landing page. So now, people are starting to engage with this new approach. They like those reports, those snippets, those charts. They're coming to the landing page. But how do we get more to say yes at this new phase in the inverted funnel as we move them up towards contractual revenue? Well, here is the control. And it followed many best practices and uh, the marketing leader of this organization was on these clinics himself and tried to improve his page and worked hard on his buttons. Download free results, for instance. It doesn't say submit, doesn't say register, doesn't say click. And uh, it has the same sort of top, uh, you know, at the beginning of this landing page that you saw in the channel ad, so that there was continuity from the ad on the landing page, and then underneath it, it talks about the survey and drives you in essentially to the point where you click to get the full report. It's free, but they need you to click on that button so they can capture a lead. And uh, if you think about it, um, we began to consider what would happen if we added multiple calls to action. Now wait a second. You say, wait, I've been on these clinics before and you often say, have a single call to action. Yes, but we weren't just offering two or three calls to action around the same offer. We were giving more hooks on this page that would appeal to this audience. I'll explain with this. It also brings you back to a critical point here. There are no expert marketers, only experienced marketers and expert testers. What we had to do was hypothesize about the customer whether or not they might want to see other similar reports so that we could draw them in if they didn't have an interest in that one or perhaps they had more interest in another. So now you see a new landing page. Notice the additional surveys. More of the content like you see in the top half, that chart down the bottom and more ways to get more of this rich content. And uh, so here's that approach and then a sidebar that gives visitors the option to learn about the main offer directly. This is different. I don't like all of the boxes. This is just an iteration in a test. Let's look at the two side by side. On the left is the control and on the right is the treatment. Luke, are you queuing up URLs for me over there? Excellent. On the left is the control. On the right is the treatment. Marketers, take a look at this and tell me uh, what do you see between these two? Which one do you think will perform the best? I'm watching right now. And don't be tricked by the fact that we're offering uh, a control and treatment in the language. You know that sometimes the test goes forwards, sometimes it goes backwards. Tell us what you think. The control, says Phyllis. The control, says uh, Gary. First, says Dave. Control, says Jamie. Uh, a lot of people, in fact, by far, about 90% of you are coming in high speed. Uh, sure ass. control, 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 control. There's about three treatments and about 30 controls in sight, and, and they're coming in as fast as I can read. And, and somebody says, I don't know. That's why you test. It's true, but it's all right to speculate, particularly if you have a test coming up. I will show you the results. And I am a believer in a single call to action. But the hypothesis here was that if all you saw was this one, you might not see the right one. And so which works? Well, here's what we discovered. We saw a 197% increase in lead rate for returning visitors. Interesting enough, and it's not on this data chart, when they first saw the page, the conversion differential was insignificant. But when they saw it the second time, and we could track this, the lead rate went up 197%. The control's conversion rate was 18.2%, and the treatment's conversion rate was 54.1%. What does that mean? Well, I think it means that when we exposed the audience... To other types or other versions of this relational content, they opted to experiment or to go deeper. They gave us the needed micro yes. We got a lot more leads. And as you can well imagine, that dramatically reduced cost per acquisition even further. So what are we learning from all of this? Well, several key principles. Uh, These have been sort of outlined here. You've got to simplify and sequence your content. And uh, we must learn to see through the eyes of the customer. We must use customer logic instead of company logic. That influence is a function of three elements, reach, capacity, and intensity. And before I say number four, I'm getting ready to do live optimization. We're going to pack every single moment. We have 12 minutes and we'll make them as rich as possible with you. But let me take you to four. Marketing only exists where choice exists and marketers must influence choice. Any marketing effort that doesn't influence choice is a waste, even content marketing. Then five steps that you can follow to help you begin to integrate content marketing into your approach. I've said all of that to move towards liveop. I have other questions queued up. Also, do we have sites ready for us? Let's go straight to a website. As we're going there, um, nine and. Uh, do you want to draw anything as sort of a conclusion over what we presented in this content and then we're going to attack this website together, hopefully in a constructive way. (laughs) But tell me, uh, any closing thoughts regarding this whole approach we've been outlining today?
0: Yeah, I think in this, in this broad shift that's taking place to online marketing, distribution of products and services directly, uh, online is well understood, well appreciated. So clearly, if one is selling a product or a service online, the goal is to have it as widely available as possible wherever your audience can exist. So they can, with one click, obviously, go ahead and consume, subscribe to that content, etc. So if content is actually providing the context for consumption of that product and service, it follows, for me, that broadly making that high-quality content available in all of the possible places your audience can exist, actually provides that foundational element for them to be able to find, consider, engage with, share, consume that content, and begin and initiate that relationship, moving them through the stages up through the funnel and through the micro yeses. So for me, it is really about a different way of thinking about how content really is that precursor to ultimately leading to a relationship where consumption is really the outcome.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful way to close out that section of this uh, program. And, nine, and feel free to jump in now as we look at this. We have uh, 10 minutes left. We're going to invest them heavily. But I'm very grateful for your input because you're living in this world every single day, uh, this content marketing Uh, sort of uh, mix that is becoming so important to leaders all over the world as we try to understand how to serve our audience better. Now, I have a web page in front of me, and it was submitted by someone in the audience immediately. I've never seen it before, but you can see that we have content right at the top of the page. My first concern is that in any site like this, you have exactly seven seconds or four inches to answer three questions, and we're not answering them very well here. I want to say this graciously to whoever submitted it, but I I want to be direct to help as many people as possible. If you've submitted your page and we haven't gotten there yet, look at this page and listen with us so you can glean a transferable principle that will apply to your own site. Here's the first. These three questions must be answered immediately. Where am I at? What can I do here? Why should I do it? Now, candidly, when you hit this page... That is not clear at all. I don't know what a John Deere looks like a check or an invoice has to do with J.G. Sullivan. I don't know. I assume that perhaps someone from the channel will know, but no one will read on the gray, white up above. It's outside of the eye path where it says an interactive agency. That part is completely lost. The eyes will go from the logo or actually straight down to where we see movement. Five elements control what we see first and second with our eyes. Size, color, shape, motion, and position. And right now, color, size, motion, position, and shape are all, all focusing people's attention on this flashing banner. And by the way, that is detrimental. Number one, they don't see it when it starts. So in the midst of trying to read it, it switches on them, which is very frustrating. They don't understand immediately that they can make a change on the right. They don't even see those right boxes. They look like banner ads for someone else. Number two, there's no message to get me integrated into the conversation as a marketer, into the conversation of a visitor. I need a headline. I need a subheader. I need opening paragraph. And it needs to clearly point towards the content that will help me most of all. Honestly, and I mean this as graciously as possible, the entire half top half of the page is completely failing to do the job that it needs to do if you're going to get people engaged with your site. So who are you getting? If it works at all, why is it working? Because any of you that have been on the Labs clinic before know this heuristic. C equals 4M plus V plus 2I minus F minus 2A. And if you don't, just go to marketingexperience.com and type in conversion sequence. You'll learn it. The first letter is M on the other side of the equal sign. M. And 4 is in front of it. 4 is the highest coefficient. The motivation is the number one factor influencing conversion. And people who are highly motivated will get through the top half of this page because they're trying to find something, because they have a desire, because it was recommended, because they have a need. But anyone with lessening levels of motivation is going to get caught here trying to make meaning of the page. So I would completely rearrange the way I do the top of this page. And then underneath it, scroll down if you would, we start to have content laid out for us. But you see, the content has no context. If someone said to me, there are more than 300 useful articles on this site that can help you get the answers you need for X, Y, and Z, you may want to start with an article written by the CEO of our organization, John Sullivan. And his name is highlighted, and the, articles, the word article is highlighted with blue underlined text. When you pop over his name, you don't leave the site, but his credentials come up. And when you see the word article... Again, you're directed down to the first article written by him. There's too much information for me to absorb here, too much work that I have to do to make meaning of the page. Remember what we said about simplify? The page needs to be simplified, and much of its complexity is coming from the way the top of the page is being utilized. I'll move on, though there's more I'd like to say, but to whoever submitted this site, if you'll contact us by email, we'll give you some more input to help you because we appreciate your your courage. Let me also suggest this to you as a new site is coming up. Let me also suggest this to you. When it comes to a page like the one that we just saw, we need to get those three questions answered immediately and we need to bear in mind that uh, clarity trumps persuasion. That clarity brought to that page will do more than all the persuasion in the world. We need a clear voice talking to us, telling us how to use it. Now, I see another flash presentation. Bingo. That reminds me that we just saw one with the last website. We are all copying each other. Best practices on the internet is just pooled ignorance. And frankly, the flash presentation here is also getting in the way of the messaging. We have three evenly weighted columns down at the bottom. Those three evenly weighted columns are hurting you because they're like three voices talking all at once and there's no text introducing those three choices or helping me understand why they're there or how I connect with them or how I use them. And instead, if I'm trying to read that ad right now, pack expo, oops, it's changed. See what happens? The minute my eyes start to make sense, my eyes scan the page, go back up to try to make sense and about the time they lock down, the flash presentation changes again. I mean this graciously again to submit submitted this. But this is not a page, and I hope I'm not hurting your feelings, this is not a page that you optimize. This is a page that you destroy and then start over. You need a headline, a subheader, an opening paragraph, clarity about what you can do here, and then start to tell me why you should do it, and then direct me sort of into the best resources. As clean and as clear as possible. Again, if you submitted this page and we can help you with it, then uh, make some changes, send us the changes you're proposing and I will see that our scientists give you some feedback to help you try and get a win. By the way, the good news is you can get a big win here. There's huge advantage. And Nainan, what are your thoughts about this?
0: No, I think they're very much minicules also, Flint. As I look at this, it feels to me more like an ad, you know, something that's attempting to grab my attention. And it's not clear to me what uh, the core message is of value proposition. Are. And unfortunately, it's changing a little too fast to be able to, I think, um, at least understand and appreciate the message that's attempting to be delivered.
1: Well, and Ninein, uh I don't know if the audience knows this, but Nainan is part of... Uh, PR, PR Newswire is part of UBM. They're the second largest producer of events in the world. I think I said that right, Nainan. So they do events globally, everywhere, and they're very familiar with uh, what you're trying to do here in terms of achieving uh, a, uh, you know, uh, attendance or getting tickets or getting people engaged at these shows. Nainan, uh, you've mentioned something about this processing too fast. Any other thoughts before I go to another page? I've got, by the way, audience, I've got two minutes and I'm going to use them. We're going to look at another page in two minutes. and give me a, if you could, any other quick summaries before we move on to here?
0: No. Any are thoughts? All right. Go
1: ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Buyer's Guide. Metal, look, look at this particular page and you'll see again, is that all the way to the top, Luke? Are you at the top of the page? Okay, that's the first mistake. Your nav at the top makes the page look like it's cut off. You've put what might be the name beneath the nav. People are not used to that pattern. The name, if it is national ornamental, the name actually looks like a banner ad for somewhere else. It looks like you can't scroll the top, get above the nav and see where you're at. So the first question, where am I, is not clear. Remember the three questions? Where am I? What can I do here? Why should I do it? In addition to that, it's evenly weighted with two other columns. It looks like three columns, even though the right is an image. But to someone coming here, that's three items, particularly because it's changing. They can't read it. It's not communicating well. There's no central headline. There's no vertical flow. So you cannot use the chronology of the page or the geography of the page to synchronize with the chronology of the mind. The welcome, the join, and the top below add more complexity. And scroll down if you would, Luke. They make the entire page... Far too hard to absorb. Again, you need to convert attention to interest. You need a pickup line. That is a headline that explains to me where I'm at and what I can do here. Or gets me into that first paragraph where you explain that. Support it with evidentials and give me a clean, clear way forward. If there are choices I need to make, tell me what the choices are. But give the sight a voice. It is not an advertisement. It is not a magazine ad. And it's certainly not... A restaurant menu, and candidly, with all of the choices, it's quite confusing. Nine in your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think both with this site and the previous one, it's not clear to me what the what action it's seeking uh, for me to take as I'm looking at this. The parts really aren't working in harmony together to drive uh, me to a particular point or to drive my eyes to a particular point, or just to really direct me towards taking an action. So I think. Uh, sort of these five pieces, the top three blocks and the bottom two as really being somewhat independent of each other. So it feels like a little bit of a fairly broad brush effort to try and attract my interest to one or more of these, but not a logical flow, uh, nor one that's leading me to a specific point.
1: Said, And I would agree with you uh, completely. Uh, folks, it's five o'clock and uh, we are now out of time and tried to pack this event with as much uh, uh, useful content as we can. I want to thank especially Ninet for joining us, but I'd love to get your feedback. I know there will be given some survey, but if you can, use your Q&A feature to tell us if you found today helpful. Audience, I want to do more uh, research related to content, and we're grateful for all of your input, and I see it coming in now at rapid pace. Please share with us if you found today useful. In the meantime, we're conducting about 1,200 experiments and studies this year, and we've got more content coming your direction in about two weeks from our latest discoveries. Ninem, thank you again, and we look forward to having more dialogue in the future.
0: Thank you, Glenn. Thank you to everybody else, too. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web
1: clinics as well as receive access to $10 million worth of internet marketing research at
0: marketingexperiments.com. dot you.